Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. If you haven't already, please be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. On today's episode, we are excited to welcome Maggie Baugh. Now she, at 22 years old, has been writing and recording music for close to 10 years. She moved to Nashville straight out of high school in 2018 and has been working hard to make a name for herself in the industry ever since. So please enjoy our conversation with Maggie Ball. I want to go back all the way to being two or three, sitting there watching the Disney Channel and Little oh Einsteins and classical music really resonating with you at that point. Now, I wanted to ask you, apart from maybe stories that you've been told about that time from your parents, is there one memory that is very vivid for you that you remember from being two, three, four, five, when music really hit for you? I do. So if you're not familiar, you are you familiar with Little Einsteins? I'm not, no. So Little Einsteins is like a three or four little kids, but it's a cartoon show, little kids running around in a rocket ship, going to like different parts of the world on different adventures and like solving crimes, solving mysteries, but they use classical music to solve it. So it's, it's so funny to say it out loud, but like there's one vivid memory to answer your question. There's one vivid memory I have of them going on this adventure. They were going to Egypt and they were trying to open a pyramid to find the hieroglyphics to get the hidden treasure and like the mummy too and so they were using they use classical music obviously because classical music is like for the cognitive brain like uh to help develop like certain artistic brain function in little kids which is why like a lot of pregnant women wear like headphones over their belly and like right, listen to yeah. classical music so it's like scientifically proven to have like an actual purpose <laughs> so they incorporated it into little einstein's and i remember watching them going to Egypt, opening the tomb, and they were playing the song Hungarian Dance Number no. 5. And so that was the moment that I literally was like, oh my gosh, like I want to play that song because it was like a magical little violin dancing around, like uh, helping opening a, a tomb. I was like, I want to open like pyramids with my violin. Like, um, so anyway, I remember it was Hungarian Dance Number no. 5. My parents still saved this, the DVD from that exact oh, wow. like episode because they knew that was the exact time that like I asked for a violin. So um, I asked when I was two and a little two-year-old with fiddle running around. My parents thought I was nuts. So I asked again when I was six and my preschool was giving violin lessons. So they finally let me enroll. Okay. And now your parents, I haven't heard much about them while I was researching. They don't come up a lot. The only thing I really heard you talk about was the fact that I think your dad is from Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> and so talk about their background and who they are as people and how they've inspired oh this God. journey for you. My parents are the most supportive human beings I have ever met. You know, like you said, my dad is from Lubbock, Texas. So that's kind of how country music fell into my lap. Right. Um, my mom is a stay at home mom. Um, my brothers have, I have two younger brothers. Um, they're 19 and six, 16, just turned 16. Oh my 
gosh. And they're both taller than me. They're like six, three. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but they're the most supportive humans in the world. You know, my parents, um, they drove me around to all of my gigs in South Florida. They, they were there driving with me 14 hours to Nashville. Um, we rented or they bought an RV, a giant 35 foot, like class A motor home with, it was two dogs, two brothers, me and my parents. So five people and two dogs and yeah. 35 square feet driving every summer to Nashville. So then I could write music. Oh, and wow. so we would stay at Nashville Shores water park, right on Percy priest. My brothers would go and hang out at the water park. I was like 15 at the time. So my brother had to be 12, nine, nine and 12. So a water park, they were just like living their best life. And so we would stay at the camper over there at National Shores Water Park every summer um, since I was 15 years old. So then I could write music. And so my first record was when I was 13. Um, I had another one come out when I was 15 and I had Catch Me come out when I was 17. Fire Me Up came out when I was 19. And now Think About Me came out last year. And so I would say my parents are the most supportive, incredible human beings. Like I definitely would not have been able to play all the shows that I did if they weren't driving me hours to play them. <laughs> that is amazing. And now you talk about being inspired by classical music and then at 13, 15, switching over to country. So let's talk about that journey and that switch. Now, yeah, talk about the middle school period. You're attending a musical school studying yeah. classical music and talk about that time and sort of the bullying that ensued and how that drove you to songwriting and to country music. Yeah. So I had to audition for a middle school. It was Bach Middle School of the Arts um, down in West Palm Beach, Florida. And so I auditioned to get in. It was like such a hard, hard school to get into at the time. Um, and I auditioned for intermediate strings. So that meant that I would have an orchestra class and music theory classes every other day. And so um, because I was already in and out of orchestra camps and I've, I've been playing violin since I was six, I was like, oh my gosh, like classical music will just be my journey. And it'll just be, it'll be Dreyfus and the, the high school of the arts and it'll be Juilliard eventually. Like that's what I wanted to do. Right. Um, it was right around seventh grade. It was crazy because we just got back from, from playing Carnegie hall, which is one of the most well-renowned music venues ever. And yeah. so I, audition to be in advanced string seventh grade because I thought I was like you know a little too cool for school in sixth grade so I was like I'm gonna go be advanced I'm gonna be advanced strings and so I got in and then our whole orchestra auditioned to play at Carnegie Hall and we made it oh, and wow. so literally I was like oh my god it's seventh grade I'm playing freaking Carnegie Hall like this is gonna be my path and right when I got back from the trip is when it kind of all started happening it was right halfway through seventh grade and um, I started getting bullied at school you know it wasn't I was very fortunate that it wasn't physical bullying obviously I'm not downplaying or justifying how it went down but I never had that physical it was just it was just verbal abuse you know it was right when social media was starting to kick off it was like when kick was a big thing like that app messenger it was right when snapchat came out oh, so okay. everything disappeared and so I was getting bullied a lot verbally um, during the stairwell, in the stairwell after lunch. So my grades started slipping for all my classes after that. And um, it was just text messages after text messages. And people would send me songs like telling me like, like when Taylor Swift's song Mean came out, like they would send that to me and be like, 
kids are mean. Okay. Point is the kids are mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so uh, because I was already around music and, you know, I was engulfed in it because I was at a school for for music. So I was already around it. Um, I started messing around with garage bands and I started like putting little beats together and I started writing my feelings down and kind of using poetry a little bit as like an outlet just to write things down because there's really no like the school wasn't supportive of it at all they were like it's girl drama it's just kids being kids and like no it was hardcore verbal abusive bullying and the school wasn't doing anything about it and so my parents were really supportive but honestly like when you're 11 years old the last person on the planet you want to talk to is your parents. So I was just writing things down and I ended up writing like my first song on GarageBand. (laughs) And I think I showed it to my violin teacher because I was so proud of it. And um, that's as the bullying started progressively getting worse, I just kept writing more. And um, I found my cousin's guitar lying around and she taught me like one or two chords. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep writing. And, you know, music, I really... I kind of downplay it a little bit just because I'm such like a positive human, such a light human now, but honestly, like I was on the brink of suicide back then. And so it's just so crazy to think that like music, like literally saved me. And I've had a couple, not as dark moments lately, but it's kind of like over COVID. It was kind of just like, man, I'm not allowed to do the one thing that I want to do. And it was like, who am I? You know what I mean? But it was like, it was always music that I got drawn back to, always writing and playing guitar that always saved me. And so I'm just really, really grateful for that experience because I wouldn't be who I am today. Um, And so music literally saved my life. Wow, that's amazing. And so when did you sort of make the switch to country music and being a country artist? Yeah, so seventh grade was right when I started getting bullied. And so um, that was when I started writing my feelings down. I started um, looping things on GarageBand. My dad is from Texas, so I, it was always classical music or country music in my house. <laughs> and so as I started writing my feelings down and kind of just exploring with, with songwriting, um, because country music was already around me, it was kind of like, that was what I heard. So it's kind of like acoustic guitar. So that's how I'll, that's what I'll start with. You know what I mean? It was just right. telling stories and like, writing your experiences. And then um, that school progressively just did not help. And so right as seventh grade ended, summer going into eighth grade, I decided to switch and go to public school. So it was just like the local school um, next to my house, uh, way closer. (laughs) (laughs) No, no violin orchestra, anything. It was just regular public school. And so I, that's when I wrote my first song that's out, it's called middle school. And it was kind of like about um, middle school being really, really hard, but knowing that it's going to get better and high school will be fine. And that's when I recorded my first music video was at my eighth grade school. We went in there and took over and we like did like a music video and like the hallways and stuff like that. And so I guess like after writing it and doing music videos and and playing little songwriter festivals around South Florida, um, I think that's kind of when I morphed into it and being like, you know, people are showing up. I'm starting to get a little bit of a fan base right when Facebook came out. I wasn't even old enough to be on Facebook at the time. My mom had to like pretend it was me. <laughs> and then. And then just progressively, like festival season is all year round in South Florida. So there was little festivals here and there. I started playing like an eight hour tent, like 
one I'd play an hour off and an hour on all day cover songs me and my little dresses god if you looked up some of those photos on google I swear to god you would never speak to me again (laughs) but it was like it was like that it was like me just like wanting to speak out because I went through such a tough time and so I just wanted to be that person that somebody had versus I didn't really have anybody like all my friends ditched me at the time a lot of them didn't want to speak up and I was the one that actually wanted to speak up and tattle on all of them regardless of the consequences so I guess that's why I really started becoming an artist because I was like I'm going to tell my story I'm going to be like music saves me music should save you as well like if you're ever going through anything like no bad vibes (laughs) so I guess that's kind of when I started my musical journey into becoming an artist was playing around South Florida and then people really believing me and taking me under their wing to from playing an eight hour shift down in a festival when I was like 13 years old, like making hundreds of dollars, like in tips because people thought I was cute to then getting paid to play on the main stage, opening up for artists to then eventually being the direct support slot to then headlining the festivals myself. So it's been such a wild journey. Yeah. I was going to ask about that journey because while you were doing the South Florida, Florida thing before moving to Nashville, when you were sort of 15, 16, 17, you were opening for some big names. And so how did that all come about? Was it just a matter of meeting people as you grew and as you booked different shows? So, you know, it's so funny. I never really used to believe in right place, right time. Cause I was like, there's no way the universe is like that person's going to be there while that person's there. And then they're going to become best friends. Like I never believed in that until my favorite story was when I was 17 years old, I was at uh, the roundup in Davie, which is like a little country bar. It was my first time headlining my own show in South Florida. Um, okay. It was always me either opening up for somebody or just on the bill, but it was my first time full band being a headliner I worked really hard on marketing it there was a lot of people there and it was the worst show I ever played in my entire life oh really yeah the sound guy god bless him could just I don't know what was going on it was either the chords or the soundboard kept blowing up but literally we stopped and we started and we had to stop and we started to the point where it was like an hour already into my show I didn't even play a single song and I was like we're just gonna do it acoustically so me and my band we did one song acoustically and I will never forget the point of the story I will never forget is that Brian O'Connell the head of Live Nation was there that day he was in town for Tortuga and he comes walking over to me and hands me a piece of paper that says, do you and your band want to play Tortuga on Sunday? And I will never forget that moment because the worst show I've ever played in my life where everything could have gone wrong. Brian O'Connell from Live Nation was sitting in the audience and personally invited me to play the main stage at Tortuga where I opened up for, I was on the same bill as uh, Jordan Davis, Snoop Dogg, Eric Church, like the biggest South Florida festival in the world like (laughs) of all the state like and I got asked to play and so that was like the right time right person right moment and I think that's my favorite story of all time wow and now as far as Nashville goes you talked about every summer traveling down there to songwrite and to sort of build up and so heading out of high school did you know that Nashville was where you were going to be and along that journey How supportive were your parents in that, in you going to Nashville? (laughs) My parents were incredibly supportive. Like, like I said, every summer I just kept coming to Nashville. So I already had 
connections. I already had people that I was writing with when I moved here. So it was really easy for me to kind of just adapt into it. Of course, for personal reasons, it was hard. I was 18 years old. I moved away from my parents for the first time, but like I always had something to do because I had such a great supportive writing group here. Um, and senior year, because so South Florida, the trip from South Florida is 14 hours. And so for senior year, I was coming to Nashville once a month. I already had an apartment here. Um, we wanted to make the transition way easier instead of me like renting a big, huge truck from South Florida to like Nashville. We, we had a band van at the time. So every single time I'd come to Nashville once a month, we would fill it with stuff. And so I just fill my apartment like once a month. So then all I had to do was one car load left when I moved here. And so when you made the official move, you mentioned you knew people there already, but you are a very bubbly, outgoing person. Now, for the first time in your life, being on your own, living on your own, when you moved, was it a difficult transition in just being comfortable with being alone and being alone with your thoughts? For sure. You know, Nashville is such a 21 and up town so when I moved here at 18 it was kind of hard because I was like well man I can't really go out anywhere um there was definitely a few bars that like let me in to come listen to music which I'm not allowed to say but whatever and (laughs) but they definitely let me in to come listen to music because they knew that like that wasn't my vibe and so they just wanted to really support me and then I started getting in with them and they were like okay well I'll let you play like so I got to play a lot like songwriter rounds I was on the road quite a bit actually when I moved here um a lot of people didn't even realize that I moved here because I was gone every weekend performing on the road um but I was really excited because I always had something going on and I've been very very blessed with that you know when I moved to town I was in a studio the first week I moved here I was recording fire me up I recorded like a little EP for my fans called I did it for the fans and four of those songs never got released but I played them live but one of them got released and it was fire me up um so I, w- I always had something going on and, you know, my fan base is the most supportive fan base in the entire world. So I never really felt alone, even though kind of physically I was, but I don't know. I feel like I've just been really lucky to get in- engulfed in the music scene here in Nashville. Right. And now your album catch me in early 2017 that you released, I heard you talk about you had signed your publishing deal just before that. And the summer going into that record is when you really started to do a lot of writing. I think I saw you mentioned you wrote like 45 songs that summer heading into the release of that album. And so yeah. talk about that summer and what it meant for your songwriting and how much you developed heading into that album, Catch Me. You know, heading into Catch Me, I signed a deal when I was 16. It was an independent deal. You know, it was really a really good learning lesson. Now, when I turned 18, the label folded and um, I'm completely independent now. No management, no publishing, no label, no nothing. It's just me. And I have a PR team, amazing PR team. Love my girls and set this up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know what? Like, it's really funny because like I choose not to talk about it just because I don't want people thinking that I have a deal when I'm completely independent right now. But it was a huge part of my life. You know, being 16 years old, walking the red carpet at Radio Disney Country Music Awards, having a label behind me, you know, it was, it was a really good learning experience. You know, I don't really wish that on any 16 year old to like leave high school. I graduated high school completely on track with all of my friends because I wanted to but there's a lot of people who sign deals when they're really young and kind of miss out on those experiences but I don't 
I wouldn't take back any single day that I had because I had catch me. And so catch me was a huge learning experience. I feel very grateful that I, that I did that when I was so young, because I learned what a record label should and shouldn't do. I learned what management shouldn't, shouldn't do. Like I learned a lot of the business so young. And I feel like that is just built me into being like the little business savvy kind of girl I am now, because I'm, I've been through the horror stories that you hear girls going through right now. Right. And I'm so grateful for it. Um, of course, now being completely independent and doing everything on my own, you know, I got high expectations now. But, <laughs> but you know, honestly, Catch Me was such like a blessing and a curse. You know, obviously, that was a really hard thing to go through when I was so young. But I got Catch Me. I got the experiences of it. I got my name out there. I built fans. I got to walk the red carpet. I was on CMT. And so, you know, it was such a learning experience. And I'm so grateful that I did it. And as an independent artist now, you are very focused on performing, or at least before 2020, you were very focused on performing and we're performing a lot. And so as an independent artist who's doing everything, is it just a matter of grinding and just getting out there as much as you can and playing yeah. as much as you can? It really is, but it's always being true to yourself. You know, over the years, I've had a lot of people jump on board and try to tell me like who I am and help me grow, but it hasn't always been me. And so I'm really grateful that this is the first, 2021 was the first year completely management free and completely on my own where I finally got to just make mistakes I got to like slack off a little bit and realize you have to be on top of your stuff and so I feel like that year 2021 was the best year of my entire life but I also got to grow as a human you know I made mistakes I made a lot of friendships I got a lot of advice I asked a ton of questions and so you know it does get very overwhelming sometimes but what I've learned is that like no one is going to work harder than you and no one is going to do it right and you're the only person that are going is that is going to do it right no one else is going to do it as right as you are is what right. I meant. <laughs> and so you know like it's just if you're an artist and you know what you want like no one can get inside your brain and I have such an artsy brain that like me trying to explain to somebody what I want versus me just doing it it's like with graphic design for example that's a hidden talent a lot of people don't know I have so all of those like Maggie Vaughn friend posters that you see all of my single covers like I do that I do my own okay. graphic design and so I learned it in high school. It was just like a little trait that I had. I just did my Instagram story stuff, like very little mini school things. Um, and then it wasn't until I paid someone like so much money to do something. And I was like, that's really bad. Can we like kind of talk about it? And he was like, well, I can't really get inside your brain. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. So I was like, I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> and so I learned how to do Photoshop. So now I can just sit there and do it. And so I guess, I guess I don't really know where I went with that. I kind of ramble on because I like talking to you, Brandon. <laughs> it's all good. I enjoy it as well. <laughs> and so this journey in 2020, now you've come out of 2020, I think from what I saw in my research as it was a positive year of growth. But when 2020 first hit, you'd only been in town for two years. You're this yeah. young musician who really has based herself on the performance and performing as much as she can and getting herself out there. That all of a sudden goes away. So in those first few months of 2020, was there any doubt that crept in of like, this is it, I should just move home? What am I going to do? Yeah, you know, when COVID hit, I was on the road so much. And so 
I am such a people person. Like I love playing on stage, not for the lights and the glitzy glamour, big stage part of it, but just because I love people and I love letting people escape from whatever has going on in their life for two hours. You know, I love being that scapegoat for people. And so I really love it when people relate to me and relate to my songs and, you know, just the heartwarming stories of it. So when I didn't have that anymore, it was one of the toughest, hardest things I've ever I ever came to terms with because I was always practicing for a show. I never wrote music just to write music. I always wrote music for the show. And so I had a lot of doubts in my mind. I never went home, which was a curse and a blessing. You know, I miss, I missed my family so much, but I knew that like, if I wasn't here, then I probably would have succumbed to giving up. And I wasn't about to just walk home with my tail between my legs. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I stayed here. I had friends that we like, you know, quarantine together, but I really, really just needed that, that time just to put music away. And I know it sounds so crazy because music has always been my life being an artist or being a violinist. Like it's always been music. And so it was really scary for me just to put my guitar in the case for like three months and be like, I just, I'm not playing for anyone. I'm not going on tour. Like there's no reason for me to do this then. I was like, then I'll just take vacay, <laughs> which was a much needed mental vacation. Right. But I started listening to John Mayer and I started really diving into him and I started like researching some of his podcasts and interviews. And I really resonated with him because he told me, not told me, like we're not BFS. <laughs> I heard him on a podcast say that he really hated playing songwriter rounds because he felt like everyone else just used the guitar as a prop. They never really used it as an instrument or part of the song, which is so interesting because now he's writing music or back then he wrote music like Why Georgia, Neon. Like those songs would not be what they are without those amazing guitar parts. Like Stop This Train. The reason you know that song is because of like the beginning intro. You know what I mean? Yeah. So... I was just so intrigued by that. I was like, wow, like I never really thought of it like that. And so I'll never forget after researching all about John Mayer, I picked up my guitar and I started messing around with like alternate tunings. I started really getting better at electric guitar. You know, I always played electric guitar. I always played fiddle. I always play all these instruments, but I don't really think I ever spent the time to like really practice just to practice until my fingers bled. And so think about me was a product of listening to John Mayer a whole bunch you know think about me a lot of people don't know it's in an alternate tuning it's called daddy ad but I play it on a baritone that's tuned in b flat and so it's like down it's like bf c sharp f d f it's (laughs) it's kind of weird but it's one of those things where it was like think about me wouldn't be the song that it is without that intricate guitar part and so having that just new creative door open for me was such an incredible thing that I needed that it finally just let me be okay playing guitar to my goldfish playing guitar to my four walls of my room playing guitar to like my couch you know what I mean it was one of those things where it was like I needed that so bad and I needed I needed to fall back in love with music again which I guess is the biggest curse and blessing of 2020 for me 2020 was because I fell out of love with music but my love and respect for the actual fundamentals of music came back right and what about the songwriting side because think about me you've mentioned is digging much deeper 
into your personal, the personal realm of your soul. And so you talked about like high school, like when you first started writing music, it came from a very personal place of being bullied. And now with this song, you're sort of digging back in. So between that and over the years, did you find yourself, like you say, writing for the performance and not digging as deep into the personal material? Oh, for sure. You know, when I wrote Fire Me Up, I wrote that that there's like this um there's this one uh breakdown chorus where like the drums have like this big moment and I was like oh my god we need to do that because on stage that would look really cool or it's like how would the intro get a little elongated or how can we introduce the musicians in between it so I was using the songs as more of like a performance piece not really does that make sense like yeah I was using it as like to show off and make us make a show Right. You can't make a show without songs. Um, COVID hit and let me really deep, dig deep into what I want to say. And so it's so funny because people are always like, Maggie, the only thing that you have on Spotify now are slow songs, but you're such like a bubbly human. And I was like, yeah, I did that on purpose because growing up after a show, the compliments were always I love your fiddle playing. You're, you have such a great energy. I love your um, personality. You really know how to captivate a crowd or you're super entertaining. And it was never my voice or my music that people really resonated with. And so 2021, my goal was to show with think about me. It was so scary putting that out there because I was like, this is so different. I don't know if people are going to like it. It's slower. Like this is something no one would have expected me to do. But I did that on purpose because I wanted people to take me seriously as an artist and as a songwriter and somebody who has a soul who can still go up there and be a bubbly personality running around playing 18 instruments. But I really wanted people to also at the end of my show be like, wow, that one song really just resonated with me or be like, damn, like your voice on that one song was pretty incredible. And so that was the goal of 2021. And so I'm just insanely grateful with the response to think about me. You know, my debut single is now at 1.4 million streams on Spotify. Never yeah. in a million years did I think that would happen. Maybe five streams, me and my mom, my dad, my brother. <laughs> but like 1.4, that's like so incredible. Yeah, I saw that after you released Think About Me. So June of 2021, you had 648 monthly listeners on Spotify, I believe. And then three months later in September of 2021, you had shot up to a hundred thousand listeners. How satisfying was that to release this song that I imagine there was anxiety tied to it because it is something new. It is burying your soul. And so how satisfying is that to see the number of plays and the number of followers, the number of fans that have showed up for it? You know, honestly, I could not have done it without the love from Spotify. You know, I always tell this story. It was like Spotify had no idea who I was. And and when did I release the song? June 18th? June 17th? No, I would say June 10th. June 10th, Spotify had no idea who I was. And it was so insane because I was just like, you know what? No one's going to listen to this music unless like I do something about it. And so I found a person at Spotify's email from the very dark stalking web, (laughs) reached out to them and was like, you have no idea who I am, but I'm releasing a song on my own independently for the first time. Like, I would just love some advice. Like, if you have any, any advice, let me know. Like, I'm all ears. She responded on Friday within two hours and was like, oh my God, 
I'm a sucker for a sad song. I love this. If you ever need anything at Spotify, let us know. And so I will never forget that email because nine playlists with two cover spots and a number one song in a chart on Spotify later, like 2021, like I owe it all to Spotify. Like I, I just hear stories about just putting a song out and getting no response. And that was like my biggest fear as an artist is putting your heart out there. Like in a relationship, you put your heart out there, you tell someone you love them and then they just deny you like biggest fear. And I just, I just feel so grateful and so lucky because that doesn't happen. And I, I owe my year to Spotify. And so I'm really excited to be releasing music this year. You know, I listened to one of the final mixes of my new song last night. And it just makes me have that feeling all over again of like anxiety of like, oh my gosh, like I'm putting out another new song, a new baby. Like, I don't really know how I feel. <laughs> and so I'm just hoping that it's, it's an upbeat song. Finally, you know, I got over my sad girl face, right. but I'm hoping that it resonates with people just like it did to think about me. That's awesome. And in the last month you've had on TikTok finish the lick. And that has also blown things up because a month ago you had 24,000 followers. And now a month later, you have over 100,000 followers on TikTok. So in this new age of music where social media does mean quite a lot, what does that mean for you to be able to do something like that on the platform? Oh my gosh. So I feel like it's funny. I was a little late to the TikTok game, better late than never, but I was a little late because I just, I am such a musician. You know, I don't, I, I resonate better on a stage in person, like in being one-on-one with the person, like in the same room, in the same vicinity, definitely not six feet apart. That's how I resonate with people. And so when people were asked to like, be online and be like a social present like yes I'm talking to you on zoom which is great but it's like talking to yourself in a phone camera when there's no one else watching like it's so awkward yeah and I was like how can I show my bubbly personality on social media where one it comes off completely authentic it doesn't look fake and it makes me feel good about myself to be like okay you know what I'm proud of myself for putting that out there and so I really just feel like I never felt on my thing on TikTok. You know, I don't really drink coffee. You're lucky if my hair is brushed. Like I don't do a get ready with me. You know what I mean? So it was like, I just really wanted to find something that was true to me. And I'm really happy that I waited because I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, But it happens in the most random, like completely out of the blue way. Like I was just hanging out in my room playing guitar, learning a riff. And I was like, oh my God, it'd be really cool if like someone asked me just off the cuff, be like, hey Maggie, play that riff and see if I can do it. And I ran over to my neighbor's house, banged on her door. She thought that there was like a fire or something. And I walked in and I was like, I need you to help me create this new series. I was like, please just record like four videos with me if it doesn't work, cool. But like, if it does, like, I think that this is really unique and different you know, a lot of country artists are doing this thing called finish the lyric. And I've just seen so, so, so many people do that. And I was like, I'm kind of a rebel when it comes to that. I love doing things that people aren't doing. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did this thing called finish the lick because I always wanted to showcase my musician side of me again, because like I said, over COVID and 
um, over 2021, I kind of put it away for a little bit to be taken seriously as an actual artist. And now that people have seen that side, it's time to bring back musician Maggie. And so I was like, I can play any lick on any, on anything I want. And I think this could be really, really awesome. Anyway, fast forward one month later, we hit a hundred thousand followers, which four videos hitting one over 1 million views later. Like I'm just shocked. Like I think my first video I did was Devil Went Down to Georgia. And I think it got 15,000 views, which was enough for me. I was like, this is better than my 2,000 views I was getting before. Like, let's keep going. Yeah. And so I just played all the riffs that I already knew. I played, you know, um, a few ACDC songs. I played um, uh, Sweet Home Alabama. Just all the songs that, like, I already knew. Because I was like, okay, we just need to make sure this, like, looks believable and, like, and, and it's just like its own thing. You know what I mean? I right, was so yeah. excited about it. I remember like calling my team and being like, guys, you'll never believe what just happened. Like this is like 15,000 views. Anyway, I just kept going with it. And then I, then it kind of like opened new doors for me musically. Like I grew up playing classical music. I grew up listening to country music. I didn't grow up listening to classic rock. So now people are commenting and I'm learning all this new music. Like I didn't even hear Thunderstruck until two weeks ago when oh, I learned really? Oh, yeah wow. yeah like highway to hell I already knew like some of that stuff like but it was one of those things where it was like I'm having fun now because I'm learning so much more new music than what I would have known about a month ago so not only did I find something on TikTok that makes me feel really unique and makes me feel good about it it also is helping me a lot with like opening my musical doors and so it's I'm really glad I waited and I'm really glad that I finally found my thing and I'm just so grateful because for somebody who never thought it would happen for her on TikTok, it is finally popping off, baby. Like <laughs> That is amazing. And now I think I heard you talk about touring and with everything starting to come back, you kind of mentioned you were going to let the big artists sort of have their turn first and you weren't necessarily going to push right away. But what does it look like for you? You mentioned Third and Lindsay having a bit of a resident residency there and are you going to be getting on the road or are you just sort of playing the local Nashville stuff for now before you start really booking out? You know, what's so funny about this is like, it is such a catch 22. Like I was on the road so much when I first moved here that no one really knew that I was in town and there wasn't really an opportunity for people to come and see me play and really get a feel for who I am because I wanted to be on the road so much because I was like, that's, that fills my soul. Right. But industry wise, people, people can't come and come to drive to like North Carolina to come see you play. So I think I'm going to keep going with the third and Lindsay residency show. You know, it's also a place for artists in town to be able to play. So not only am I giving myself an opportunity to play in town, I'm giving other artists an opportunity to play. And the club is just so excited about it. You know, I remember Washington Steel play on that stage. And the fact that we're playing to like a semi half capacity crowd is just incredible and so it's it's really really fun and especially it's it's so fun to be able to have a two-hour show too you know kind of like when you go on the road for me my shows were like 60 to 90 minutes long um me playing straight through and so now that I get to like host and like and and be a champion for other artists too but also have a place for people to come and watch me it's just it's such a fun and awesome show and so I guess to answer your question throughout the year I will have like a few pop-up shows here and there across the U.S. I know I think I'm playing in May um in North Carolina 
think I'm a 28th. Don't hold me to it. Somewhere in somewhere in North Carolina in May. But so here and there, I'll have a few shows. We're booking a little bit in the fall. But I really just love this residency show. And I'm really excited to see it pull off. Because if we can have a sold out crowd in Nashville, that is the biggest accomplishment ever. Like, it's so damn hard to sell tickets in this town. And I'm just so, so grateful that people want to come and watch me tell terrible jokes and sing. <laughs> That's awesome. And you're gaining a fan base, obviously, but you also talk about bringing your friends out to the shows mm-hmm. at Third and Lindsay and you being able to set the lineup. And so aside from just building a fan base, how important is it to build those relationships within the industry as well and just build yourself up and build almost a family around you within the industry? Yeah, I think it's like, it's, it's, there's been so many horror stories of people in Nashville talking about how like Nashville is so cutthroat. There's only one spot. Yeah, you're right. There is only one spot, but at the same time, we also don't have to like eat each other up on the way up there. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of survival of the fittest, but we don't also have to tear each other to shreds while while we're trying to get there. And so the best, my favorite thing about Maggie Blunt and friends is that we have artists of all different capacities, right? Like, in the beginning of my shows, I give an artist who might not even have 2000 followers on Instagram a chance to play a show that they would have never been able to get on their own. You know, it's 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 my little piece of giving back because I remember I used to knock down so many doors and venues asking to play two songs before they go on stage. So being able to reach out to artists like that, it just means so much to them. Like I literally grabbed coffee before this with a girl. Uh, her name is Jordan Berry. She played two songs before I played. And she was like, I never would have been asked to play Third and Lindsley if you didn't ask me. And now it, it, she told me, she was like, it gave me the confidence to want to go out there and actually ask people to play instead of just getting the shows that people ask me to play. And for somebody like that, who is first starting out to somebody who has hits like Adam Sanders played our show, he's written hits for Dustin Lynch for Cole Swindell to want to come back and be that role model for artists like me is just so incredible. So, you know, on my next show, which I'm so excited about, the lineup is almost announced. So stoked. Um, April 20th, the next show will have somebody who has had number ones, who's had success to somebody who has 7 million followers on TikTok to then somebody who is like me, who is just getting popped off on TikTok to then somebody who might not have any following, but is super talented and should be recognized. So that's my favorite part about Maggie Ball and Friends is that we showcase all different calibers of people, all different calibers of music, um, and all different calibers of artists. And so that's my favorite part about Maggie Ball and Friends. That's awesome. We'll keep an eye on your socials for that lineup. And tell us about the new song and when we can expect it. You mentioned maybe it's more of a summer jam. Are you going to, do you have a release schedule for it? You know, what's so funny is that I just found out that I was releasing this song probably about a month ago. I sent a, a demo to it of it to my team and they were like, oh my God, you have to release this. So I sent the demo to a few different people um, and then they were like, you have to release this. So on March 16th, which was my birthday bash, I sit on stage. I was like, this is going to be my next single. The master isn't even done. We're not even done recording it, but I don't know when it's going to come out, but this, it, this is the song that will come out. And so it's so funny because I've had multiple interviews this week that I've literally been like, 
I have a new song coming out. I literally just got the master yesterday. So prior to that, I was like, the master is not even done. And I have no idea when it's going to come out, but it's going to come out, which is so unlike me because I'm normally a very planned human and I would have stayed quiet and been like, oh, I'm not announcing anything until like X state where I can then drop it on my socials. And you know what I mean? So it's really funny now because I I don't, I think I told them the, the title last time, but it's called seeing somebody. And so it is a summer jam. It's a very upbeat, fun song, roll the windows down. And um, I think that's exactly what I need this summer is to like enjoy life and, and be like, you know what? Like, it's okay to, to write songs that are happy too, not all sad. Thank you once again so much for listening. And thank you to Maggie for stopping by and sharing her story. Be sure to check out her newest singles, Think About Me and Drink Into the Broken Hearts, wherever you stream your music. Please also be sure to check out our website, countrymusicmademe.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes and also sign up for our newsletter to receive exclusive content and also stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. You can also find us on any streaming platform. So if streaming is your thing, just head over to your favorite, search Country Music Made Me and give us a follow there as well. Thanks once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music Made Me.